Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 400 true stories of the Old West. Also, soon to be available, my first book titled Coal Miner to Cowboy, historical fiction based on true events. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Montana, and rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He also travels with a wagon train. On his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and will soon be available on Amazon. And right now, here he is in all of his old Wild West regalia, including a Colt 45. Here's Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Don't make me pull this gun out. I'm not. I'm sorry. Right, I'm, sorry okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just giving you a little heads up there. I'm ready. I'm ready. And, of course, you know I'm going to say something about my book. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> it's uh, in process. Yes, it is. More so. Yesterday, the printer printed two copies of my book. And today or tomorrow, I should get a copy. My editor will get a copy. We're going to go through it. If it looks good, by the end of the week, I might have 250 books at my house. 249. Oh, that's I right. I get one of them. And I will sign it, and I won't charge you as much <laughs> as everybody else. The man at Christmas time is so all generous. heart. Generous. He's all heart. I'm just generous. Yes. You know, that's just the way I am. What about the feeble flooster or whatever his name is over in Germany? <laughs> well, he'll have to pay for it. <laughs> oh, I mean, did he call you? Uh, no, not, not yet. He didn't wish you Merry Christmas? Not yet. Oh. But uh, but that might happen. Are you going to wish anybody Merry Christmas? I'm going to wish everybody a Merry Christmas. I mean, I love this time of I year. I do, too. And you, last week you said, could I come up with a Christmas story? I did, and, and you remembered. And I remember. Ladies and gentlemen. It's a miracle, Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Put you under the tree. That's right, and here we go. So this is a Christmas special celebration in the Yukon. Oh, my. In the Yukon. They never get warm up there. Oh, you know. Uh, so there's a, this is a story, uh, uh, a lady by the name of Emily Tremblay. And I'm going to start out with a quote from her. She says... Why have I heard that name, Tremblay? I, I don't know. I, that sounds really familiar. Anyway, she starts out. She says, the Yukon is a special place. You can get an enhanced sense of this by celebrating Christmas here. I remember one Christmas Eve in Dawson City when the all-important mail truck with its load of gifts was behind schedule. 
It was far too late in the day to sort mail when it finally arrived. Nevertheless, the staff stayed through the evening to ensure everybody received their vital packages. I also recall the Dawsonites realizing the postal workers were sacrificing their own time to get the mail delivered, brought in food and other goodies to show gratitude. It was one of the finest Christmas experiences that I recollect, yet it pales in comparison to the Yukon's earlier Christmas celebrations. Really? And we're going to talk about her earliest. Well, they're not that far from Santa Claus. They're not. It's not that far of a trip. No. So it was 1894. Emily Tremblay couldn't have chosen a more unlikely place to celebrate Christmas, her new home. Now picture this, Seb, a one-room sod roof cabin with just one window was located at her husband's mining claim on a place called Miller Creek in the 60-mile district, which is uh, about 60 miles west of the future site of Dawson City. Now, that out, cabin sounds cold. And out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, my. Now, so here she is. This had been previously occupied by her husband, Jack, and his partners. Oh. And she is walking into this. Yeah. Okay. A lady. So... Already several years old, the cabin had a dirt floor, partially covered with wood. Along the walls were the primitive bunks on which the miners slept. Uh-huh. You're going to like this, Seb. I bet I will. A single pole in the center of the cabin supported the roof. A single one? A single pole. At the foot of this post was a thick black layer of tobacco juice. The men tired from they used working. To spit on the pole. The men tired from working on their claim all day, lay in their bunks, chewing tobacco and spitting at the pole. Now she just walked into this. I can see where she might have trepidations. <laughs> tobacco chewing was an indulgence practiced throughout the Yukon, as one man said. "Quote: It is impossible to keep anything clean. Nothing is sacred to him." And you're going to like this too. If a miner happens to have a clean stove about the place, and a man drops in with his cud in his mouth, the first thing he invariably does is to spit on the stove. It is a sort of recognized salutation, an informal way of starting conversation. End of quote. Oh, I can imagine that if somebody came into my house and spit on my wife's stove, they probably would bury the body on Friday. <laughs> You've got plenty of room out there. <laughs> Just dig a hole. So here she is, Emily Tremblay. She took a shovel and started her cleanup at the oh. center of this room. And in the following day, she scoured her new home from top to bottom oh. as best you can. You know, the cabin was equipped with the barest of essentials, a crude and, you know, crudely built furniture that they just made out of, you know, logs and yeah. one, one thing or another. So, but uh, think about the dirt floor, though, yeah. and the generation of all the cold from outside. Sure, yeah, it did have a little bit of wood, maybe in a part of it or something. We don't know, but so she was one of the first white men women to come across the Chilkoot Pass. Uh, you know, I've talked about Skagway yeah, yeah. and coming over the the Chilkoot Trail and yeah. up the Golden Staircase. Right. So, folks, if you don't remember, that's the Golden Staircase was a man that uh, uh, carved out stairs in this in last ice. in the ice in this last portion to get up into Canada. Yeah, I remember that. And when you got up there, the Mounties did not let you in unless you had two thousand pounds of gear. 
because uh, they wouldn't let you on into Canada and on uh, to the Yukon. Wow. So guys had to go back and forth, back and forth, up that, through that, on that trail. Hey, refresh my memory. When you left your gear at the top, a lot of people were stealing it, weren't well, they? Well, that's why you, you partnered up with four or five or six guys, because you'd leave one guy there while the rest of you went back and got another load. And yes, and a lot of them did get stolen. I see. So she was one of the first women to go over that Chilkoot Pass. I mean, she had to be a tough, tough lady. Yeah. So among the thousand prospectors in the Yukon uh, drainage area at that time, there might have been only a couple of dozen uh, other white women scattered along the the Yukon Valley. Emily was the only woman living on what they called uh, the 60-mile tributary. When they came to the north, women uh, faced, you know, these extreme tough conditions. Uh, And I'm going to guess that none of them were prepared for what they found. Oh, They couldn't have uh, down in the States, you know. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But uh, a lot of people spoke with admiration of these women, and overall they were treated with considerable respect. They were uh, very, I think they just respected the fact that they got there and what they had gone through to get there. So let me ask a question. Was she coming up alone or was she married beforehand? Yeah, she was was married. I see. Yeah. So uh, Emily was born in Quebec and later moved to New York State. And it was there in 1893 she met and married a guy named Pierre, or they called him Jack Tremblay. And he was a Miller Creek miner who'd come outside, so to speak, back home that summer to visit his family in the east. So he'd already been up there and built that cabin that that I talked about. So the following spring, after they were married, uh, they departed for the Yukon. They crossed the Chilkoot Pass early in the season, arriving on 40 Mile uh, on June 16th. And after organizing their affairs in 40 Mile, they made the 20-mile journey upriver and walked over the hills to Jack's claim on Miller Creek Hmm. and to this cabin. Now, for Emily Tremblay, this was a difficult adjustment. Uh, The miners felt that uh, the creek was no place for a woman. There were no other women, and she was further isolated by the fact that she did not speak English. I, see, oh, she was born I see. in Quebec. Yeah, so Canadian. Yeah, so she yeah. spoke French. Well, upon her arrival, Emily immediately started working on her grammar and her vocabulary. Her English gradually improved, and by the following spring, she was joined on Miller Creek by the French-Canadian wife of some of the other miners, uh, uh, some brothers named Day. Uh, a woman she'd met previously uh, in Juneau, Alaska. Now, being the only woman on the creek at the time, though, she decided that she and Jack should offer a Christmas dinner to the miners living nearby. Oh, my. 
they proved this proved to be a challenge because there was none of the usual amenities to help make Christmas dinner a success. I mean, they no didn't, turkey. Yeah, they didn't have much. No stuffing. Yeah. No so biscuits. they improvised. Well, I'll tell you what they had. Oh boy. So she wrote invitations on a piece of birch bark and oh. sent it out to the other miners. Really. The guests were asked to bring their own utensils to eat their meal. Preparations were further complicated by the fact that she could only cook dishes small enough to fit into her tiny 22-inch oven. That's not very big. That's pretty small. You can't get a lot in there. No. So she had little to do with which to cheer up the uh, and civilize her primitive log home, so she uh, adapted an unused log skirt to serve as a tablecloth. Uh-huh. And, you know, the table had to be just, you know, made out of sticks and wood. How big was the cabin on the inside? It, you, know, you know, it doesn't say, but it couldn't have been more than 12 by 15. Oh, my or goodness. 20 it's, by 15. Yeah. You know, not very big. How many miners are going to come and sit in Well, there? it got full. <laughs> the Christmas menu was a selection of stuffed rabbit. That sounds uh-huh. okay. Yeah. Roast caribou. That sounds good. Yeah. Brown beans and broth. There were King Oster Oscar sardines. You've had those. No. No? Don't want to. Oh, sardines are good, Zeb. <laughs> Have at them. Evaporated potatoes, sourdough bread with butter. Now that sounds good. It does. As well as cake and plum pudding with blueberry sauce for dessert. She now, did pretty darn good. Now, doesn't that sound good? Yeah. I mean, you compared to With what, the exceptions. Uh, oh, come on. Of the you got to try some sardines, Zeb. Ken. <laughs> How cold is it out now? It's it's It's, cold. It's got to get a lot colder. Okay. So just before the end of the meal, a latecomer arrived with a bottle of rum. Oh, now this is sounding better all the time. To add to the festivities. I see. He had walked all the way to 40 Mile and back in the bitter winter weather to obtain the liquor. Now, I don't know how far that was. He went 40 miles one way and 40 miles the other? No, he went to a place called 40 Mile. Oh. And I don't know how far that was from their cabin. I'm thinking it was like about 20 miles, but that's still a long way. So after the meal... They played cards and filled the cabin with tobacco smoke and good cheer. What about spitting on the pole? That, ooh, you better not be doing that. Really? Not with Emily there. Oh. I have a feeling she would not uh, uh, abide by that. Or that's your last Christmas. That's <laughs> Goodbye. In later years, Emily reflected on the first year she spent on Miller Creek. Uh, she regarded that and the improvised Christmas celebrated with uh, good-hearted miners as best as the best time she ever had. Uh, you know, when you hear people talk about Christmases in the past, a lot of times it was the hard, hard ones that they remember the most. I agree. Not the easy ones. Well, so the following spring, it's 1895, she planted a garden on the roof of her cabin because it was a sod roof, to improve her diet. By the end of the summer, the Tremblays had mined enough gold to make it so they could return to New York State, but they couldn't get the north out of their blood. They soon returned to the Yukon. They went back? They went back to live out their days in the Klondike. Oh, my goodness. Emily eventually established a dry goods store in Dawson City, and I'm not sure how big Dawson City finally got, but I think it got to be fairly good sized. But she operated that for many years, and she became a highly respected member of the community, and today a school in Whitehorse is named in her honor. No kidding. So, But over the years, Yukoners also found a lot of ways in which to improve, uh, improvise their celebrations of Christmas, and you know, the isolation, the dark and the cold. They, How did they stay warm up there? You know, 
<laughs> I'm going to talk about that just a little bit here. I wish you would. <laughs> so there was a newly arrived fellow that arrived uh, in Dawson City, and he was quite the proper Englishman, uh, quite... Uh, dapper. Dapper. That's a good word. See, yeah. rely on me. I'll throw him at you. Very good. Dapper. But he was... Not uh, impressed with his experience at an interdenominational Christmas Eve service. Oh. You see, uh, it was uh, celebrated at what they call St. Paul's Anglican Church. Uh-huh. The minister, uh, uh, this guy said, was wearing mucklucks instead of what he said was proper footwear. Mucklucks. Mucklucks. I see. There were dogs wandering about in the church during the service. And the improvised heating system had failed to provide adequate heat. I see. So prior to the beginning of the ceremony, uh, by kerosene-fired heaters that roared like jet engines, sitting at the back of the church in the rapidly declining temperature, as this guy says, Uh the air filled with fumes, one shivering parishioner loudly urged the minister to hurry up and finish the service so that they could all go home and warm up. Amen. I suspect that was a quick service. Really, you've been up there in Uh, that area. Yeah. Now, in the wintertime, what are we talking about as far as lows and highs? Oh, you know, many, many degrees below. Oh, yeah. Wind and snow, you know, 10, 20 feet high. They were a hardy lot. They were. And, you know, I was there in, let's say, I think it was there in September. I see. And it was beautiful. And uh, it was, I would not have wanted to try to hike that Chilkut Trail in the wintertime. You know, even though it got packed down by all the people on it, uh, it, it still had to be pretty miserable. So it had to be slippery yeah. and icy. And but you know, beyond the pomp and the ceremony that the Yuletide season brings, uh, there's always something kind of essential about a Yukon Christmas. No gifts are required; simply the spirit of the occasion and the joyful sharing of a community coming together at the coldest, darkest time of the year. You know, and I can't even. I'm from Wisconsin, right? Originally, as you know, yeah. And we had some storms and winter problems back there. That I hate to say this, but people out here don't realize how bad it can get. Yeah. I mean, snow deep, like not unusual at all. Six, seven, eight foot drifts you know yeah. that you'd have to contend with but to live up there in the yukon and live up there in really not modern uh, conveniences of heat right. etc well how no electricity yeah no electricity wow. you know uh, no running water really yeah but you know uh, let me just a couple things i know we got a couple of minutes uh so do you have a picture of that lady by I, the way i do not oh, i don't have a okay. picture of her but uh you know for the christian celebration of christmas the viewing of the nativity play is one of the oldest Christmas time traditions, yeah. the viewing of the nativity. And the first reenactment of the nativity of Jesus took place A.D. 1223. Wow. So, you know, hundreds of years ago was when the first, very first nativity that Thousands. is recorded. Yeah. Thousands. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. We got a caller with a question. Quickly, caller, please, you're on the air. Yes, right here in this valley. In 48 and 49, we had snow, and they were driving over the top of the fence posts, and you could reach up and touch the telephone or the electric wires in some places. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, they couldn't keep the cattle in because uh, the snow was higher than the fences. Yeah, my dear friend Gary Shoresman told me about that, and I absolutely acknowledge you're 100% correct, man. That was something else. So, so my dad was going to college up in Albion. 
at the uh, Albany State Normal School or uh, Southern Idaho College of Education. Right. And uh, he and my mom were the last ones to get into Albion for two weeks. Oh, my. They made it in, but then nobody could get in or for out. For two weeks. For the next two weeks. And when they did get out, they had to uh, drive way out off the road, clear off into the fields where the snow wasn't as deep. So, yeah, my, my folks remembered that. Wouldn't you agree, Ken, with all the times we're on this program, you, Dr. History, and all the stories, we've turned into some modern-day wussies, haven't we? <laughs> you know, if I can go from your house into my pickup and turn the heat on, you know, that's about it. Yeah, and then turn that little button on that has the seat warmer and everything. Uh, yeah, you know. And adjust the temperature. Right. Oh, are we a tough lot? Yeah, and the the warmers on the steering wheel. You know. Yeah, hand warmers. That's right. I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. And I, I will admit, but, you know, you and I grew up in places where it was cold. And Darn I remember, cold. you know, milking cows out when it was cold. We had an old fridge yeah. that we kept a light bulb in there. And we put the, the milk or suction cups in that fridge to keep them warm so they'd be at least warm enough to put on the cows yeah. in the morning. But going out to the straw down the corrals, you know, and you add manure up to your whatever, yeah. you know. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but those are good memories I from wouldn't those trade days. It. I wouldn't trade it for I anything. I can remember Dad, you know, uh, the water freezing up to the barn. And I can remember when I was a little guy, he used to take uh, two five-gallon buckets of water and he'd make like 20 to 30 trips from up by the house all the way out to the barn. Back and forth, back and yeah. forth, back and forth, because everything was froze up. Yeah. Well, we we liked that. We had a, a, a stock water heater yeah. thing that they kept the water from freezing for the for the cows and stuff. I used to love to go sit in the barn in the winter when it was really cold and and the horses were all in their stalls and everything and just sit there and the steam and you'd start sweating and it was really nice and warm in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, milking those cows. Uh, you know, we did have hot water in the in our barn. It was a, a really a big barn. We could milk four yeah. cows at a time. Can you imagine? Really, four cows, four whole cows, four whole cows. Yeah. It was a grade A dairy when my grandpa had it, but uh, it wasn't quite so grade A when we had it. Now you milked by hand? <laughs> no, I did not. We had a D, D Laval and a Surge. Uh, really? milker that ran off kind of like air, uh, an air pressure thing. Well, I can tell you that I've been on that three-legged stool <laughs> and I've had that t- that tail with all the brown material in it <laughs> come around and slap me in the face on a cold winter morning. Yeah, well, my dad had that happen to him and he got mad and took his pocket knife out and cut the hair part of the tail off. <laughs> The bad thing about that, now you've got this stump of a now tail. Now it's like a bull whip. Now it comes around and smacks him in the side of the head and realizes that maybe he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> you know, we could sit here and have memories all the time. We ought to do that next week on Tuesday is have Christmas memories. That could be good. That yeah. would be good. Uh, God bless you, man. That was a great story. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Looking forward to it. And, of course, you've been listening to Dr. History, and he absolutely is the best at what he does.